Here's an experiment for you. Take passionate experts in human resource technology. Invite cross-industry experts from inside and outside HR. Mix in what's happening in people analytics today. Give them the technology to connect. Hit record. Pour their discussions into a beaker. Mix thoroughly. And voila, you get the HR Data Labs podcast, where we explore the impact of data and analytics to your business. We may get passionate and even irreverent, but count on each episode challenging and enhancing your understanding of the way people data can be used to solve real-world problems. Now, here's your host, David Turetsky. Hello and welcome to the HR Data Labs podcast from the HR Technology Conference in beautiful Mandalay Bay Conference Center in Las Vegas, Nevada. Today, we have with us friends of ours from Trusaic, the CEO, Robert Sheen, and the VP of Alliances and Product from Trusaic, Anuj Mangia. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks, David. Thanks a lot. Thank you for having us. It is absolutely my pleasure. And let me say that what I'm going to ask you to do is talk a little bit about who Trusaic is and what you both do for Trusaic. I know we talked about your titles, but what do you do? Yeah, so Trusaic is a data analytics company, and we provide the data analytics in the workforce data. So we aggregate and consolidate and wrangle workforce data that could be structured and unstructured, data that stays in the applicant tracking, HCM, payroll, leave of absence, time and attendance, and benefits, and things like handwritten, like performance data or resumes, and we wrangle and prep that. And the whole purpose of the company is to bring about having a DNA that's has a purpose and social goodness about it. Excellent. So we provide tax credits that help companies to be diversified by helping companies hire people that are disadvantaged, veterans that live in a certain impoverished areas. We make sure that the companies are providing health care, which is fundamental right. And also, of course, we want to make sure that that we are achieving pay equity within our organization. All really good things to do. So thank you for doing them. So what do you do, Robert? Oh, so I'm the CEO of the company. And so CEO, you are much... <laughs> you're the boss. So that's well, it. Just you're the boss. I, I don't I don't view it that way. I just okay. have a different job. My job is very broad. It's a very generalist. It's, it's more like a mile wide and about two inch sure. deep all sure. over the place. Sometimes I do have to to wear different, I wear a lot of different hats and sometimes I have to plug in holes where sure. there are things that are being missed or right. focus on things that are non-business as usual as sure. also with interdepartmental dependency projects. So you basically can play any position and you typically have to fill in where there are gaps? No. I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm good at certain things that I could plug in and do things. Like in the finance, I think I'm very proficient. Sure. I think I'm proficient in the sales side. I, I think I'm proficient in certain processes, but definitely not for Not every all role. of them. No, okay. not at all. And that's why you have Anoush. That's so he right. can fill in those other areas, <laughs> yes. right? So Anoush, what do you do? Well, I work in product development and and sales. As Robert mentioned, I you know we have ACA compliance, tax credits, and pay equity softwares. Sure. So I was principally involved in developing those products that we have, and then just really helping sell the products. Excellent. So let's talk a little bit about the one thing that no one knows about both of you. We do this for everybody, 
It's a humanizing factor. Just something personal about you that no one knows. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it's a way of linking everyday experiences. And we found some fascinating things. Analysts, CEOs, CIOs, CHROs, they've given us some really cool stuff. Oh, gosh. I, uh, I guess, may, I mean, I'm an atheist. I don't, I don't, not a very religious person, but I don't think that by means doesn't, mean that person doesn't have morals and right absolutely comp- north, you know compass well look at the company you run it's a wonderful wonderful <laughs> company that does good things so you're, you're doing good stuff oh thank you david yeah you're welcome yeah i don't so, think you have to have a certain moral religious belief to be, have a right you know compass and i agree i don't think our faith necessarily drives our moral compass i think it's our internal faith our internal being who we are that does. So I agree. Yes, I agree with you. Yeah. Thank you. Anuj, how about you? What's one thing that no one knows about Anuj? Well, you're going <laughs> to, you know, what's funny is you're going to put me on the spot there, but I think at heart, I'm really lazy, you know, and I think that is, that, that is, is a very mature thing to say. Yeah, no, that is, that is who I am. And, you know, no one knows that about me because I don't, I, I try every day not to be that. I'm going to ask my son to listen to this podcast specifically so he can see that it's okay to admit that you're lazy. Yeah. Because yeah. you're a very successful person. Yeah, well, I, 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 I don't know. I hope so. I, I think you are. <laughs> so let's get down to the topic because this is going to be a lot of fun. Let's talk about what has happened in the world of work in 2022 and what we think is going to happen in 2023 with the lens of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking subscribe. This podcast is made possible by salary.com. Now back to the show. So let's start with, from your perspective, what happened in 2022? What did we learn? What did we experience? What happened? In 2022, I think we finally are seeing the importance of HR And that HR was always viewed as this expense center. Yep. But with the rise of legislation, not just in the U.S., but in the EU and also with ESG, I think what we're going to see is that the HR will come to the table in the decision-making process. Mm -hmm. The importance is, is, is too great. The great resignation will be dealing with quiet quitting. Sure. And now we not only add on top of that the complications and complexity of that job, yeah. The ESG reporting, the yep. SEC may be requiring, that means that the, the workforce data and the, what they need to report is going to sure. be very valuable. And so I think in the future, what I think I will see, like to see, is that the HR do come to that decision-making table with the other C-level decision-makers. We already actually saw in 2021 where Regulation SK said that companies need to report any type of HR metric that actually proved to be at all interesting or that it had some material nature in the running of the business. So we already saw some of the regulation on a federal level being brought in that incentivizes companies to bring HR to the table because HR is now reporting the SEC. That's right. And reporting to the street. That's right. So I agree with you, Robert. And I think it's fascinating that the data that they're going to use and the ways in which they're going to be able to use that data will help push the organization to design a better workforce and design better work for the workforce. But let's also talk about other things you've seen in 2022 that, that primarily focus on DE&I. 
Yeah. So in you know what we're seeing on the in the European Union side is that there's a parliamentary recommendation, which is going to push for diversity, equity, inclusion, and PAYDA reporting. And the sentiment is that the the fundamental right of equal pay, which has been fundamental right for over sixty years now, and I'm always a little appalled that we have to literally had to legislate (laughs) that women and men should be paid equally. I I don't know why. Anyway, so that's been a fundamental right in the U.S. in 63, I believe, in the EU around the same time. Right. And so now what the EU is saying is that we're going to force this, right? It's 60 years later. Nothing's happening. So we're going to legislate this. And you see that happening in, in states like California, Illinois, New York, Washington. Colorado. And Colorado. Colorado, yeah, yeah, and then you see that the the investors are also wanting that, right? The, the investor on the ESG ESG right. investment. There's about what two point six. I don't quote me on this. I know there's about several trillion dollars that's earmarked for ESG investing. So they see that the benefit of being diversified. The company have done better. You did right. a lot of studies that have shown that the that when the companies diversify, they're much more sustainable and they do perform better. Yep. And so there is this change and shift. You know? How else can we put this other than doing the right thing for your employees does the right thing for your customers? And we've seen it happen so many times. You, know, you talked about quiet quitting and the great resignation. But we used to talk about employee experience and we used to talk about employee engagement. And we may be using different terms, still some of the same outcomes. If you're not treating your employees with respect, they're not going to treat their customers with respect or the the outcomes that they get at the customer level won't be as good. So what you're saying is that we have to go to legislation to make companies treat their employees with respect. Is Is that what you're saying? I think it's also understanding your customer you know, and there's, a, you know, the study, let's say if we were to analyze, let's say, a policeman that lives in a suburb that's patrolling your inner city, they have no interconnection with the people that live in inner city. And I Unless think, they lived next to them. That's right. And I think that diversity brings that into, in a workforce dealing with the customer. If you're diverse, you understand your customer because your customers are diverse. Exactly. Yes. And... If your company doesn't look like your customer base, what kind of message does that send? And I think, well, I think then the you are not you're not going to be able to get the right feedback. You're not going to be able to pivot. You're not going to be able to see what's coming in the future for you. And I think your company is going to be very rigid in one point of view, rather than having a point of view that looks like your customer. There was somebody who wrote on, I think it was Hallie, I forget her last name, but I'll I'll remember it hopefully soon. But somebody wrote on LinkedIn, what's the best metric for diversity in an organization? And I said, my answer back was, take a picture of the boards of directors and the top layer and post that on LinkedIn or post that wherever, post that in your 10K. That's your diversity right there. Because if your diversity doesn't start at the top, then your diversity will not be what it should be throughout your organization. Because people look at the top as being their leaders. And if they see, pardon the expression, but they see a bunch of old white men as 
the board of directors or as their leadership in the C-level, that's what diversity is going to look like in your organization. I mean, I don't know. Do you, do you disagree? I think that diversity is very complex. There's a lot of social economic issue as to, you know, what type of people and a certain type of industry and certain type of profession. And I think that it seems to me there's a lot of work to be done in this area. Like, for example, why do more men go into software compared to women? Or in the education side, what we see is that why there are more women in the education than there are men. And I think that the issue is so complex, social economics of how do you get this company diverse? How do you incentivize or get these younger people to go into different fields that's not so stereotyped right. and whatnot? And I think it will, it will take us a long time to get there because I think it's so ingrained in us so, for so many years. Absolutely. But, but I do agree with you that the people do look up to the top. They're the role models. Yep. And if they're not diverse... Perhaps people that are coming in, they'll never feel like they could be included into that top-level seat. Yep. Yep. Let me ask you, Anoush. So you hire developers. When you look at a slate of developers you're getting from your recruiting team, do you feel like you're getting, and I'm not trying to put Truist on the spot in terms of your diversity, but do you feel like you're getting an appropriate level of female-male representation, maybe differences in mental abilities? Do you feel like you're getting a diverse slate of candidates? I think yes and no. I think it's a, on, on certain level, definitely we're getting a lot of diverse candidates. It's, as Robert mentioned, it's really about, especially on the developer side, it's like less women. You know, we, we don't get a lot of women that, that apply, right? And again, that's a very... It, it's a long-term issue that's always been there. Like Robert asked that question as to why is it that that women are not going into software engineering? Is right. it something that's wrong with our school systems, or what's what's the underlying root sure. cause? Right. Sure. So that's what we gotta gotta look into for that that to change. Yeah. And, and David, to 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 add, you know, so, so a company like us, which we are small, sure. about 150 worldwide. You know, we're competing with companies like Apple's and Google's. Sure. So now when we are dealing with companies that are that large, there are applicant pool even becomes smaller. So sure. then now we're dealing with even very small, small applicant pool that will qualify for the work. Sure. So that adds another challenge to who we could hire and how fast we could hire and what talent pools are available for us. It, but I think this goes to the heart of the matter with diversity, equity, inclusion in 2022 we're seeing an ability or we're actually enabled to hire people from other parts of the world. So the traditional thing of I have to hire somebody in our location, they have to be co-located with the rest of the teams. We've actually seen a lot of companies who hire overseas, wherever those seas are, whether it's in North America, South America, Asia, Africa, anywhere. Enable them to find the talent or the skill needed at that moment in time and fill the role. So that's a, much more of a 2022 than it ever has been in the past, especially given the fact that with the pandemic, a lot of us were working from home anyways, right? Yeah, I think that's been a good thing. It did open up. People got used to working remote or, or hybrid, and I think people have learned in the last two years how to work that way. I think there are a lot of positives and negatives to that. But it definitely does open up a geographic hiring, and absolutely it opens up the bigger pool of people that you could attract that, 
that you want to attract that's going to be diverse so that your organization becomes diverse. Excellent. Yeah. Hey, are you listening to this and thinking to yourself, man, I wish I could talk to David about this. Well, you're in luck. We have a special offer for listeners of the HR Data Labs podcast, a free half hour call with me about any of the topics we cover on the podcast or whatever is on your mind. Go to salary.com forward slash HRDL consulting to schedule your free 30 minute call today. So let's talk about what your prognostication is. What is on the cards for 2023? Where do you think it's going to go? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of really cool technologies here, and you guys are bringing a lot of cool technologies as well. But where do you think DE&I is going to go for HR in 2023 and the business in 2023? Well, you know, there's uh, legislation in California we're just anticipating to be signed by end of this month, which will go into effect in January of 2023. Which is only a few months away. That's right. And you also have a legislation yeah. where you have to certify that you're, yeah. you're compliant. Yeah. Now, with that in mind, what the company really needs is in order to have a confidence that they are achieving pay equity or they are in compliance with pay equity, you need a real lifetime of analytics. You know, the old-fashioned way of doing an analytics every once a year or every two years is just not going to be good enough. Nope. Or let's say if, if you, even if you took a snapshot of your pay analytics six months ago because you're a large organization, let's say over 10,000, and it takes you six months, and six months later, you may have about 3,000 people that you newly hired, got right. promoted, or left. So, Termed, yeah. so even that's very outdated. So in order to keep up with the legislations, and especially in California, Illinois, you're going to need a software that keeps up with you as as the company is is hiring and promoting and and people are leaving. Well, it's not just about the software too though. The software informs you or could inform you of areas of concern to take care of. But don't you need to also change the processes and train the right people underlying all those processes to make sure that they're making the right hires? decisions around pay, and at each point in the pay process or in the employee life cycle, whether it's promotion, whether it's job training, whether it's side gigs that they're being given, they always need to be, make sure that they're doing the right thing. That's right. So, so there's, a, you know, there's a conscious and unconscious bias that have, people have. And so the people need to be coached as to how to deal with your unconscious and, and, and conscious bias. However, also too, when you have a right tool that's a, that's a software driven, that's a lifetime, you could pinpoint where those problem areas are. You could pinpoint which division is constantly causing this pay gap or pay inequity. And you could pinpoint which person that needs to be coached because it can be, it could be that not everybody is unconsciously biased that way. So data analytics is very powerful. If you have the right tool, then you could really look into what is the root cause that's causing that pay inequity in your company. But before you even get there, though, I know you're talking about prognostication. You're giving a, a bet as to what you predict for next year. But won't they have to make a journey on making sure their data is all clean, or at least as clean as it can get, and that all of the different attributes of not just the person, but the hierarchy, their skills, all the things that can be used as comp compensable factors, all those things need to be cleaned up, right? 
Oh, absolutely. You know, in the workforce data, this is a mess. Yeah. So, you know, in 2006, Intuit asked me to come in and they want, they asked me to help them build out a platform that consolidated and aggregated their 1.4 million quick data, wow. QuickBook data user with 21 million employee payroll data. Wow. And when you're dealing with this type of data, you're dealing with people that are human, you know, data that's yeah. human entered. Sure. So there's all these mistypos and, yep. you know, misspellings that go on and all these different right. data platforms. Right. And the people also think that the payroll data is clean, but it's not. Let's say, for example. Well, it's much cleaner than others because <laughs> it drives pay. So. Yeah. Well, actually, it's actually much more. To, to us, it's actually very, very difficult because you don't know whether a person was like, given a, a bonus or overtime. You don't know, let's say a person is, there's a void of three months. You don't know whether that person left and came back or whether that person was on a paternity leave. So all those data doesn't belong in the payroll. So you have to bring all the information from all your workforce data to understand what happened. Right. But, but out of the data sets that you get from HR, because there's a, co- a real cost associated with it, payroll is usually kept the cleanest. Because that outcome is money gets deposited in someone's account or it doesn't. That's right. And someone complains about it. Yeah. And there's, there's laws about being able to pay people or paying people the right way. That's right. So no one wants to go to jail for this. Yeah. So that's why I, I think payroll, in my background, I've seen that payroll is usually the cleaner of the employee. Yeah. I think there's a lot of risk in not paying people right. Yeah. But when you're dealing with, let's say, pay equity issue, you have to think about the who's getting more overtime, let's say. Absolutely. You know, you find that all white men are getting twice the more overtime. Where are the bonuses? Right. So all that data needs to be broken down even further than what's available in the payroll. But do you think 2023 and beyond has a better way of doing it? Or are you just saying that software is going to solve everything? You know, our software does solve that. You know, we do bring, the way we solve all those issues is by bringing the applicant tracking, the HCM, leave of absence, time and attendance, and and benefits and payroll data and job performance. And when you bring all that in, you could actually reconcile and validate a lot of this information that's missing in the payroll. So what you're saying is, is that if somebody uses different signals from different systems and they bring them together, they use those signals to try and true up to whatever should be the right set of data. That's right. Let's say, for example, well, I gave you, let's say there's a person with three months of void and payroll. But so, but if you bring the leave of absence data, you'll see that, oh, that person may have, you know, was on a paternity leave. Right. As opposed to, then you're speculating, did that person, ter- you know, right. leave and come back? Right. So you do need to more data that you bring in from different data source, the better picture that you're going to have. Okay. Well, that's actionable because especially in 2023, hopefully, all these things will talk together because either APIs will happen or other things, and they'll be able to basically bring all that data together with less, less friction and be able to have a truer picture of what is going on in the organization by leveraging all that data together. Yeah, that is going to be important. Yeah. And in what we're seeing in the HR is that the HR is starting to hire data specialists that could bring in all this data for them. Yes, and they're using technologies that others have used before, like Snowflake and other 
good data structuring, good data governance technologies that enable them to bring it together in better ways so that they're not just all dumping it into a data lake and you know using whatever technology they believe will get them to it, but they're actually doing it in a much more structured way. Yeah. And, but also, you know, this is different than, let's say, inventory data or financial data. So somebody has to really understand what is this HR data, right? You know, so you need an HR data specialist, not financial data specialist coming in and looking at the payroll, you know, workforce data. What's fascinating about that is we've seen and talked to a lot of data science people who talk about the fact that they ask HR to bring their best people in to learn about the business problem, to be able to ask about the specific business problem, and to ask them how to try and find the patterns in the data. Because as we know, data scientists try and solve for everything. But what the best thing about them is they're naturally inquisitive. They ask the right questions. They try and give the right answer, given the data they're given. So I like what you're saying, which is to have people in HR who can understand the data and can get to the answer without actually having to be a data scientist, right? They don't need to be a data scientist. I think it helps to be a data scientist because you have to understand the quality of the data that's coming sure. in. But you really have to understand HR. You know, what is that data? You know, I wouldn't put a financial data person into an HR because this is a whole different way of looking sure. at information. Maybe some cool skills there, but you're right. They don't yeah. understand or wouldn't be able to bring the data together in the right way. Yeah. Or they'll also get very frustrated about the quality of the crap and data in HR and go, why do you guys run the systems these badly, this poorly? That's true. So anything else that you wanted to talk about as prognoses for 2023? You know, we've, we've always been a proponent of building a better workforce. And I think that what we're seeing, you know, coming out of the pandemic, a great resignation, and then the extreme acceleration of ESG. Yeah. We hope that the HR, and we are in this era of managing people that are knowledge-based. You know, we're not in a factory anymore. We're hiring right. knowledge people. Right. That means that HR will become even more important. How do you manage knowledge rather than managing a machine? Right. So I think all, this, all these things are heading towards the importance of HR. Anuj, anything from you? Well, I think, yeah, I mean, Robert pretty much summed it up, but I think like one of the things that we've seen in 2022 when it comes to DEI and specifically the equity component in there is that companies were very reactive to, you know, performing audits and, right. and you know, even if they were doing it, they were doing it once a year, yep. maybe once every two years. Yep. I think what's going to change moving forward in 2023 is companies are going to start doing these audits more frequently and if possible, even just avoid by changing processes or putting in technologies in place, just avoid creating any kind of pay equity issue. I pray that you're right. Well, I, and I, I hope that you're right. Well, yeah, we all hope so, right? <laughs> <laughs> Robert Nanoush, thank you so much for being on the program. Well, thank, oh, thank you, you so, so much, much David, for I appreciate us. your thoughts. And thank you for listening. Take care and stay safe. That was the HR Data Labs podcast. If you liked the episode, please subscribe. And if you know anyone that might like to hear it, please send it their way. Thank you for joining us this week and stay tuned for our next episode. Stay safe. <laughs>